You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the CBS Radio. Wait a minute. CBS Sports Podcast Network. Chris, they keep changing these things on me. <laughs> uh, I'm Mike Casazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. I, I make this harder than it sounds with the introduction for what network and company we are in. Um, Speaking of make it harder than it sounds, we're going to try to preview Iowa State, West Virginia, um, with the help of you, Chris Anderson. Um, this does seem the games aren't easy. This seems kind of simple to look ahead and figure out how this may go on Saturday in Ames, Iowa. Um, these teams kind of are what they are, which is good, but you could probably sketch a preview, finger paint, crayon, stencil, pencil, whatever. Uh, and come out with something similar to what you're going to see, 3:30 kick on ESPN Plus. Yep, you got strength ish versus strength ish, and weakness versus weakness here. And I believe it was coined on the message board the battle for the bottom, uh, battle to avoid the bottom. I guess you really uh-huh. don't want to be in the bottom. Yeah. Um, zero and five, Iowa State. One and four, at West Virginia in in Big Twelve conference play. I mean. So, um, it is what it is. And like you said, I, I, there are some things, there are definitely some key things. We're going to talk about it here. We're going to have it in the fresh set. We're going to have it in the three keys, but you kind of know what you're getting with the general big picture here between these two, these two teams on Saturday. Yeah. Not a lot of points probably, huh? Probably not. Unless Iowa state just gets right. And starts bombing everybody, the Hunter Deckers, the Xavier Hutchinson, and then this is a 35-31 game in the fourth quarter, and we're going, oh, yeah, I saw that coming. Lies. All lies. <laughs> Question for you, Chris. Yes. Three and a half seasons deep into the Neil Brown era. By the way, how have, you, how have you let me say four and a half like six times in the last two podcasts? I want to blame you for that. Truth I is, I don't listen. <laughs> no, I did. I caught it once, and I was like, I thought you corrected it, and then people were like, you know, it's not Brown's fifth year, and I was like, it only feels like five. Yeah, no, I did. I did correct it one time, and then I think I reverted back to saying four and a half. I think I said three. I said four and a half. Corrected it to three and a half, and then in the last podcast, I think I said four and a half again because had somebody messaged me about it. So I'm blaming. Once upon, a, once upon a time, I worked in newspapers, and you, if you made a mistake in print. You had to submit a correction that would always go like on page A2 inside. Uh-huh. Um, can you imagine the bandwidth we would have to devote to <laughs> mistakes we make in podcasts or print? Like we had to have a whole ear plus plus ear ear sports plus plus subscription just for the the retraction corrections. Oh God. So let's not uh let's not get out our red ink pen and start correcting one another, please. Um, okay. My question for you though. Yes. Three to five years of the Neil Brown era, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're actually in the middle of our fourth season now. And for whatever reason, 
whatever the motivation or inspiration is, the intrigue, the interest, however you want to define this, they have played football with consequences late on in the season. Just a fact. Is this the least anticipated game of the Neil Brown era? I went back and looked, and there were there was one game. I I try to think back to that 2019 season, and that was the first year. So there there's always excitement with the first year. They think you know some some intrigue about the new coach and some new players, but there was that stretch from the first week of October through the first second week of November where West Virginia lost five straight games and they went from three and one and a, Hey, is this team not terrible? Mm-hmm. Cause they had beaten, you know, I think the big NC state win yeah. uh, in week three was, was notable. Uh, I think they got fans kind of riled up a little bit. Well, but not only then, that, but right after they got destroyed in Missouri too. Right. But then they went with five straight losses in like 11, 24, 38, three. And then back home for Texas Tech and sitting at three and five. And I was trying to remember the vibes for that game, but I can't imagine it was too hyped up when you've lost four in a row, about to lose five in a row, and, and the season's kind of falling apart. Um, but mm. other than that, because you had last, you go to 2020, they're bowl eligible, um, fighting for something at the end of that year. Uh, last year, again, fighting for bowl eligibility. So, there was something to be fought for, but what do you got? Is it, is it the, the least exciting game? Let me work with you here. Uh, let's cross off FCS games, right? Uh-huh. Like, I don't care. No one cares about the LIU game. No one does. Um, let's go to last year. The one that is curious to me, you can make a conversation for it, but you have to try. At TCU. Road game coming off of a bye, an open weekend, and a three-game losing streak. The first half of the season ends, they're two and four. And that's the first time that I think people started to think about making coaches walk the plank here. Like, this is not getting better. How can it be two and four? Um, and then a TCU game on the road. TCU was just kind of meh last year. And you're thinking, I don't, I don't really care about this. But they were still playing with a chance to turn the season around. That might have been interesting whether you were a well-wisher or not. And sure enough, they win that game. They go four and two at the end of the season. Um, and once you get that win, the Iowa State game suddenly at home becomes more important. Oklahoma State. Home game, they were top 10 at the time. From there on, they win their last two games. Those are obviously important. But the TCU game last year, that's in the running. I don't think it's it. I would go to 2020. You're right. Bowl eligible. Took care of that. They played that Iowa State game at the end of the year, which we'll get to. 42-6. to Remember, they Oklahoma postponed the first home night game of the Brown era. Then West Virginia had to cancel it because of covid and then they had so many people who were sick in contact trace. They brought, I want to say their their travel roster did not hit 70. And it was like low 60s or something like that. They were just in rough shape. They lost really bad. That one seemed like because the expectations were so low, Iowa State, frankly, is not a team that gets people excited. Um, that year in particular, with the, the stakes being what they were and the roster being what it was, I don't think people were too pumped about that. That might be it. Your Texas Tech is a good one, Chris. However... That was the game that people were really excited to see Jared Dagey. That's right, because we had gotten to the final four games of the season. Mm-hmm. You kind of had Austin Kendall doing his thing. They lose that Thursday night game to Baylor, and then you know that you got four games. He's not going to start, is he? No. Is he going to play? Possibly. They never did it. They gave Kendall one more shot. They got 
Um, a lot of distance between them and Texas Tech in the first half. They brought Dagey in, and the rest is history there. But there was some Jared Dagey intrigue there about, well, this season's kind of a wash, probably. He's not going to save it. Um, yeah, so that actually made them bowl ineligible. No, this are six loss. Um, but yeah, played Dagey the final um, final couple games, and, and that was interesting. So my answer, Chris, is yeah, this is the one that's kind of least intriguing, even though they do have they have bowl eligibility, but they, they only have two losses to spare. But my point being, this this deep into the Big Twelve era, if your November games of significance are against Iowa State, team that's own five, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's not where you want to be, and that kind of speaks to the state of affairs, state of the union, whatever you want to call it. But um, not playing meaningful football late on in seasons, whether this is you know you're whatever the Big Twelve or you're whatever for coaches tenure. Um, Listen, that's that's a that's a pin you put in the map and try to figure out where you are and where you've been. And if you're playing for the basement or to avoid the basement, not a good sign. No, it is not. And in, what's an even worse sign? What do we say? Uh, an zero and five conference team, and the spread is now up to seven. Yeah, in favor of Iowa State. That's when you're facing a winless conference team that has lost five straight games. You don't want to be a touchdown underdog to them. Let's try to explain this point spread, Chris, a little bit. We can get into some stats, some matchups of concern, of note, but let's talk about the obvious, which is the injuries. There are unknowns there. Their backfield, definitely no C.J. Donaldson. Uh, Tony Mathis, I'm not sure how much he'll practice this week. They're going to use the Wednesday afternoon practice to, to make their travel roster for a game on Saturday. Okay, but maybe no Mathis. Justin Johnson will play. Will he get through the game? I don't know. They're going to have to have Jalen Anderson. They're going to travel with Mark Juan Rucker. Offensive line, no James Committer. They're going to have to play either Jordan White, who was not great at right guard, or Tomas Rematch, who was okay. Defensively, no Lance Dixon, no Davis Mallinger. 6'4", recruiting reporter from Richmond, apparently is third in the depth chart at Spear, I think. Um, I don't know, secondary question mark just even healthy or not like there's there's obviously injury concerns there don't have to tell you that that's going to influence the people out in vegas but chris the matchup here iowa state can be pretty good on defense they have some some tells when you look at the yardage and the points that are indicative of the way they play this is this is kind of a lost season for them but it's not because of the defensive side of the ball and if you're going to beat west virginia yeah you got to have an offense that can do some things but you really got to clamp down on their on West Virginia's offense. And this does seem like a team that could do that no matter how the record looks right now. Yeah, absolutely. Again, <clears throat> I think we touched on it the other day, the best defense in the big 12, mm-hmm. uh, as far as at least as far as scoring defense goes, um, kind of solid all around. Yeah. I always, I always hop in and, and you look at one of the first things like missed tackles, you look at pa- opponent quarterback passer rating, uh, rushing yards, per or average yards per rush and just kind of see where might they have some weaknesses. And, and honestly, they're kind of just solid, like in, in each of those categories. Sure. There's some, are there some places that West Virginia might want to pick on? There might be, but there's nothing as glaring in, in, in all the weeks that we've done this this year and maybe even years past. I, I don't recall, you know, past years ones very well, but I'm trying to remember a time where I, I've looked at this and looked at some in-depth stats looked at different things and there wasn't you know at least one or two just like flashing red lights like or green lights i guess to go and attack that spot um because there aren't many 
when you're looking at this Iowa State defense? Some indicators for success or failure you look at speak to your point, Chris. For example, third down conversion percentage. 27th in the country. It's not elite, but West Virginia, okay on third downs um, offensively. 32.7%. Um, first down defense, which means the number of first downs that an opponent gets, Iowa State, 16 in the country. But that's a net total, so you're dividing that by games played, not per game. West Virginia, one of the best teams in the country getting first downs per game. That's an interesting one. Rush defense for Iowa State. This one looms large because of West Virginia's running game. 26 in the country. Again, not elite. Good. Very good. Um, these are all top two, top three numbers in the Big 12. I'm not so much in the total defense. I'm not so much in the even passing defense because I think the quarterbacks are so uh, so good in the league or in college football. But also, you know, one, passing is going to be prolific as teams do it. But also, you know, sometimes just if you're a good rush defense, teams are going to pass on you. Um, and sometimes just that's the way the game is played. Uh, of note, though, probably scoring defense. Elite especially in the second half of games, but 16.6 points per game. Going over their losing streak, Chris, they have lost these five games by a combined 28 points. Impressive. Um, They're not getting boat raced either. They're not giving up a ton of points. In the five-game losing streak, gave up 31 to Baylor, but since then 14, 10, 24, 27, and put an asterisk next to the 27. One is on a fake field goal by Oklahoma. And one is on a one-yard run after an interception was returned to the one-yard line. So in a traditional sense, 27 points, but 14 of them are from interceptions and special teams. So 13 points to Oklahoma's offense. So 31, 14, 10, 24, 13. Um, very consistent with the scoring output. So bend, 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 doesn't break. Maybe even doesn't bend a whole lot. Certainly not three bends like I gave them there. But they, they make it hard to sustain drives, convert third downs, pick up third down, first downs, but also turn yardage, turn first downs into points. They are very stingy there. Yeah, absolutely. And they play a lot of guys. They they yeah. they rotate in and out all all three levels. Um so they're maybe I mean they're deep by that definition. Uh I, I do think there's probably better talent up there, but when you can rotate those guys and keep those guys in fresh, it allows you to do other things. It's it's the exact opposite of what West Virginia has on defense right now. Um and something that I bet a lot of a lot of teams wish they could do. And so they're rotating around. And not only are they rotating around, but I believe they're one of the fewest. Like, I don't know if it's a pace of play thing. I think, I, I mean, it's probably partly pace of play, but also their third down defense, as you noted, being top 25-ish in the country. Um, they are, yeah, looking at it here, number 16 in total defensive plays. Um, mm-hmm. again, I, what does that mean? I, I think it means a couple of those things I just said, like pace of play that they get off the field on third down, that they maybe create some turnovers, but they rotate guys in, they keep them fresh and, and you're not going to be facing their defense a ton, but you're going to get their best shot every time. Yeah. Um, turnover margin is important for them too. They've turned it over a bunch. Um, mentioned the interception return for Oklahoma, Baylor was plus two in their win. I think one of them set up a touchdown there, too, if I remember correctly. But um, 31 points, again, seven come from the defense there. They just, they, they're they not on the field very much. And when they are on the field, you're right, they have good personnel, they're fresh. And also, they just do stuff that used to be, unique's not the right word because it was copied or mimicked, but rare. It, it's much more common now, but maybe offenses have a couple more reps against it. Maybe they practice it or practice against it more in the course of a season because you see it from different opponents. But... 
they're just good about playing three or four in the box. And all of a sudden you think, I got to run. And there's seven or eight in there and you're left going, why didn't I throw that ball outside? Why didn't I go deep? But they also don't give up a lot of deep plays either. Um, going to be patient day for West Virginia's offense. We'll see how that goes. Um, let's start with the Iowa State offense, though. Okay. And maybe the West Virginia defense here. Fewest big plays, like, uh, of any chunk plays in the conference, and you're going to find this in, in national conversation, too. I didn't do the math, but, like, in the Big 12, by far, the fewest 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and 90 yard plays. All of them belong to Iowa State, and that's just what they do. Their yards per attempt passing is, like, 6.7. Not good. They've had a hard time keeping running backs healthy and running it. Um, Deckers is not a runner like Purdy does. who can convert uh, third downs with his legs or at least the threat of it. They're just not as dynamic. They do have a very good receiver. Their tight ends aren't what they were before. That could just kind of go up over people and make plays. And some of the rebuild there by not having NFL talent, frankly, whether it's Purdy, whether it's Brees Hall. Hutchinson's an NFL player, but not enough of it. Hasn't been very explosive, hasn't been very efficient and probably owes their defense a few more wins than what they have. Yeah, they're sitting in about almost dead last in the country in 30-plus yard plays from scrimmage, pretty low 20-plus yard plays, just following along with what you said there, because, yeah, they're not explosive. They just don't get downfield. They average about one play from scrimmage per game that goes 30 yards or more, just one. Um, To put that in perspective, you know, I mean, obviously Tennessee's on a different level than a lot of teams right now. They're averaging about four. TCU, who West Virginia just played, is averaging four. So um, Iowa State, like I said, they don't make a lot of plays. They don't give up a lot of big plays. This is going to – God, this is going to be a – Hey, are we really selling this to make this even more of an exciting game, Mike? Because this is going to be a grind. I need the NFL Films John Facenda voice and music in the background to make this sound more intriguing than we are right now. (laughs) Because right now, like, I mean, you look at Iowa State, they don't go deep and they don't give up deep. And because, like, West Virginia – I mean, Iowa State's defense, not to flip it back to the other side of the ball, but – in 20-plus yard plays, 30-plus yard plays, they're like top 15 in the country in defense, but top or bottom five on offense. And it's going to be who can sustain drives the best throughout this game. What do you think of Hutchinson? That's a guy who's been around for a long time, came back for his fifth year. You're thinking if you're an NFL receiver, go. But came back without an NFL quarterback, without an NFL running back. I think a lot of people projected that this is going to be a rebuilding year for Iowa State, especially the offense. But here he is. No one's been targeted more or caught more passes in the country than him. This is the most fascinating matchup to me because, in part, because, yeah, you're right. Hutchinson, 116 targets, 77 catches. Both lead not only Power 5. I think Neil Brown was like, oh, I think he leads Power 5. No, he leads all of FBS, 130-some mm-hmm. te- 131 teams. Um, what is West Virginia going to do here? And I, it, it centers on... Charles Woods, you know, this is a, hey, you want to go to the NFL? Here's your game. This is the game that you need to start your NFL film off on. My question is, how much of an opportunity is he going to get? And here's why. Hutchinson, he flips both sides of the field, left, right. He's almost 50-50. Uh, 53-47 is what I got my splits on. Uh, it's 53% left, 47% right. So far this season, Charles Woods, at least as far as his quote-unquote cornerback snaps you know sometimes they they say that pff being they say that he lines up as a safety a free safety slot corner whatever but when he is a cornerback it says that he is lining up as a right side cornerback which would cover the left side receiver 71 out of 82 snaps Hmm. 
indicating that that Woods is you know sticking to one side of the field rather than flipping um, based on field and boundary and everything. But, but, look like the last year when he wasn't hurt, when he played all the time, at least in the second half of the season, and he is split almost exactly 50-50, left side corner, right side corner. Now that he's had a week, two weeks maybe, of being healthy, played all the defensive snaps last week, are they going to give him more of an opportunity to flip sides of the field and and shadow Hutchinson here and truly make it a one-on-one matchup and have everybody else, hey, you guys go handle everything else. It's Woods on Hutchinson, maybe some help over the top, and that's it. Because I think that is the biggest key. I'm very curious what West Virginia is going to do with Woods in this situation, if they're going to flip back to how they kind of used him last year and have him try to uh, shadow Hutchinson here. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's a very interesting point because if nothing else, Chris, um, they have used the return of Woods as a way to act the way they have not acted this season, which is blitz a little bit more, play less zone, press a little bit more, rely on more man-to-man coverage. If you can do that at this stage of the season because you have fewer things to worry about and you have, like, again, if you're playing a zone, and dropping eight, you're asking eight guys to play as one in some situations. Not as one, but like there's a lot of tandem stuff that happens when you're in a zone. Man's different. It's one-on-one. And if you can make it even easier by saying we're going to put our good guy on their good guy, what could you do with that defense? Like you're going to create more one-on-one situations. You're going to have probably one fewer thing to worry about. You take the advantage away of, you know, hey, you know what? Hutchinson's good. Says Wood. Let's move our receiver away from their best corner. Well, too bad. I'm going to stick my best corner in your receiver wherever he goes. Now, will they get that exotic? I don't know. But if you're going to be thin at corner because you're not sure what you have, um, it's an interesting tactic. Do you? What, what's your level of confidence that they'll get that exotic on that one? Because I'm, I'm, I'm probably at like 2080 before last week. But now that I think that they, they tried something and they're rewarding on defense, maybe they'll be a little bit more exotic. I'm not sure I'm 50-50, but not 2080 either. Right. I think the fact that he played – um the entire game last week makes me think that maybe just maybe they'll move him around and try to get him to follow Hutchinson. Because if you go back to the pit game now, granted he played what 12 snaps, I think in that one and Mm -hmm. only seven of them were in coverage, I believe, but he moved back. He was more left side than right side and, and moved back and forth a little bit. I think it was, I mean, it's again, it's such a small sample size. I don't even know what you can take from it, but maybe it's a, it's a hint of the fact that that you know 
that's what they wanted to do originally was have him flip and from side to side uh, and be a field a field corner boundary corner uh, whichever one in and follow guys around or but but and then these last couple of weeks have been almost exclusively you're a right side cornerback that's it doesn't matter if that's the short side of the field wide side of the field you are right side corner no matter what and I think that might have been hey we're going to keep it simple because you've been gone and you've been hurt and you haven't been able to practice. And the rest of the guys on this defense, they're young, they're inexperienced and and we're having a hard time back here. So we're just going to try to keep it simple. And I think that that fact right there, that the other, not the other 10, but the other you know four in the back end of the defense might struggle with the flipping and the flopping on the different sides of the field. That might be the only reason I think they might keep Woods from following Hutchinson around in this game. Pressure seems like a good idea. You can get into some numbers on the offensive line if you want, Chris, but nobody in the Big 12 has been pressured more than Hunter Deckers this year. 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. When he can hold onto it and throw it, he's got some weapons. One of their tight ends has like a 12-and-a-half average depth of target, which means that they're looking for things and drawing things up for a tight end to get out the field. That takes time and pass protection. But if you play three tight ends, hey, you can do that. Um, but yeah, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, seven throwaways, 17 sacks, 13 scrambles. He, um, he's either jittery or he's encouraged to move a whole bunch. He does not have a lot of time to throw it about seven yards uh, in the air per throw. So they have to really work on their passing game. Um, West Virginia believes it's been blitzing better. You kind of have to squint and scrunch your face a little bit to see that to be true, but you can also see some offensive linemen. Um, maybe having to be on their heels a little bit against a defensive line that suddenly is like, wait a minute, playing man, I'm going to have help from a linebacker. I'm going to have help from a, a spear or a bandit or somebody and come through here, and then maybe they play a little bit better. But um, this does seem like a good opponent or an opportunity to continue that experiment, play a little bit more pressure, blitz more, or just be a little bit uh, more aggressive with your alignments and your personnel, and maybe not often, not how often you blitz, maybe when you blitz or how many people you blitz when you decide to come. Yeah, here we go with my uh, elite analysis here, Mike. Um, it's great when you can get pressure without blitzing. I, I think hold on, hold on. I gotta write this down. Yeah, hold write on. that one down. If you can get pressure with three or four, that's better than getting pressure with five or six. Um, and with Deckers, it's no different. Um, like like you said, his his under pressure numbers, it gets bad. Uh, but his win blitzed numbers, that's when he's at his best. It's, it's, I mean, it's not bizarre. It, it means that he can, he can read the defense. He sees it's coming. He makes those quick throws. He knows where to get it to and releases it quickly. But when he is blitzed, he has almost an 80 PFF grade overall. He has nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, he's completed 51 and 83 for 642. Yeah. So when he gets blitzed, he's great. When he's under pressure, it gets ugly. So it's get pressure, but without blitzing, which unfortunately for West Virginia, they haven't been able to do very well this year. And you look at those numbers, you said, scrunch your eyes because we've been hearing them talk about, Hey, we're blitzing more. We're blitzing more. And yeah, I, I mean, Hey, again, it comes with the caveat of these are PFF stats with, 100% accuracy, not guaranteed. But the last two games, they've blitzed 10 times and blitzed nine, to nine times against Texas Tech, 10 times against TCU. 
the previous games, 6-17-3 against Virginia Tech, which just made me laugh hysterically. Um, eight against Kansas and seven against Pitt. So nine and ten, kind of a, a little bit of what above the median, but about yeah. the average um, for for the season. And TCU was really like the one time that they found success with it. That was like maybe against Texas Tech, Texas Tech a little bit, but you're looking at the stat like Baylor five of six for 107 yards. Texas, 13 of 17 for 174 yards. Uh, Kansas, 7 of 8. Pitt, 4 of 7 for 105 yards. And that Kansas game, 7 of 8 with two touchdowns. TCU was the first time, 3 of 10 with a pick, uh, with a touchdown and an interception. Um, so maybe that's a sign that they got something, that they found something, found something that works, and they might be able to implement it in this. But is Deckers the guy you really want to be blitzing? Statistically, no. So... Let's see what they decide to do. It's just like with all this stuff. It's kind of a cat and mouse game. Which one do you want to try to pull and which one do you not? Fascinating counterpoint right there. So that's good. Um, I would say that pay attention to something that Jordan Leslie said on Tuesday, which was, um, do you want to start off with what you're going to do that you think is effective? i.e. blitz pressure, whatever, and let them get used to it because you only have so many punches and so many tricks, right? Or do you save for the right spots maybe later on in the game? Don't know. We can get into some of the second half numbers here in a little bit. Uh, long story short, Iowa State does not allow points in the second half. But you're probably also going to consider that they're going to throw it a lot. They threw it 50 sometimes last week. And, Chris, their running numbers, miserable. First three games, 176, 129, 163, they start 3-0. and Great. But that's Southeast Missouri State. Iowa, intriguing. And then Ohio. Uh, since then, 66, 26, 78, 74, 66. That's not attempts. That's yards. Um, they just can't run the ball. They haven't been healthy. Jarrell Brock has missed some time. They think could be back and probably as close to 100% as he's been. But this is not a team that runs the ball. And if you're in a game like you may see Saturday, I mean, why run into the, the failures here? Maybe we'll see some passing. So something to think about there. Are you ready to talk defense? Can I add on to the rushing thing real quick? Yeah. Okay. I think the reason, in part, that they fail running the ball is because they are so one-dimensional when they do. They run to one spot of the field and yep. one spot of the field only. Um, when they run off the center's butt, literally off of the center's butt, left or right, um, they are averaging almost six yards per carry. Like, that's great. You take six yards a chunk all the time. Except teams started to figure that out. They started pinching in a little bit and – Iowa State cannot run outside. They cannot run outside. And they're averaging about three yards per carry on designed runs that are not right off the center. Like literally the rest, the entire rest of the field, as long as it's not running off center, they're averaging three yards per run while six yards right up the center's butt. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Defensive line game. We'll see. All right. Now defense here. We can spend a lot of time on the defense. Not sexy, but we're still spend some time on it. But um, a whole bunch of metrics you can look at that are fun. But if this game, uh, adjustments, plans, all that stuff, that second half becomes very, very interesting to me because, again, they don't allow points in the second half. 6.0 points per game in the second half. Number two in the FBS to only Illinois, which is maybe the best defense in the country. Uh, West Virginia has been very good in the third and fourth quarters, especially the fourth quarter here. It just seems kind of foolhardy to think you're going to make a whole bunch of progress throughout the game against this defense here, but we also know Iowa State's defense and West Virginia did succeed against it last year. The last opponent to score 
excuse me, to reach 400 yards against Iowa State was West Virginia. Um, interesting little nugget there. But, and that, that game kind of came out of nowhere last year where 122 yards rushing for West Virginia, over four yards of carry, 370 yards passing, Chris. Um, <laughs> there's a game plan there, I'm sure, but it, it doesn't happen very often. It hasn't happened since then. Yeah, I think the the one thing that works in West Virginia's favor, and it the offensive line has been better this year, um, but the one thing that works in their favor, and it's something that that kind of plagued them last year, but I put this chart up in the old three keys, and I've I've rehashed it a couple times, but the yards per play for West Virginia was directly proportionate or reverse, whatever, um, to the amount of pressures that the opposing team gets. Makes sense. The be- the better the other team is at getting into the backfield, the worse West Virginia's offense was. And it was a, in, I guess, what is it? A negative, direct negative correlation. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody smarter than me will figure that out, but the exact opposite. So, and, and no exceptions, absolutely no exceptions all of last year. And that was why you looked at teams like Oklahoma State that just destroyed West Virginia. Minnesota destroyed West Virginia. Those teams could get in the backfield. Iowa State, they cannot. They rank 107th in the country in sacks per game. Mm-hmm. They only have two guys who have gotten double-digit hurries, or uh, yeah, or excuse me, four guys with double-digit pressures on the year. Um, and, and I think this is an area where West Virginia is going to be able to give Daniels a little more time than maybe he's had uh, at other parts this year. And they again, they have been better than they were the year before. But I think he could end up with a lot of time unless Iowa State gets kind of tricky and, and starts blitzing some more too. It feels like if you stop Will McDonald, which is not easy, don't get me wrong. Um, he, he's on the verge of the Big 12 sacks record. Stop him and maybe Vance a little bit. They really don't have much about getting in the backfield and pressuring plays, too. So McDonald's pretty much 50-50 what side he lines up on. Vance, he's a linebacker, going to be in a spot. But the way they play, those are the two guys they really rely on have for quite some time. Those are their, those are their two pressure guys, too, correct? That it's, is who it is, yeah. Yep, so, I mean... It's more than that, but again, like that's that's how they play. They don't rely on a whole bunch of exotic stuff and a whole bunch of people to get pressure, get in the backfield. They they're just good at it too. Their secondary's been probably um maybe the, I don't want to say the surprise, but they had to be good because they're replacing so much. They've been good, they have good players there. Uh, injury of note there, Colby Reader, uh, a transfer, a seventh year senior, one of four in the Big 12, 24 in the country, missed two games. He'll be back. He's a leading tackler for them, so their defense is actually gonna be at full strength. Um they just have a lot of ways to do it here, but Big plays, Chris, don't happen against them because they always have a safety deep. They keep those three deep um, and make you kind of guess and diagnose which one, which ones will come down to help the run. Um, it's uh, boy, it's it's just hard to really pop big plays against them. Teams don't do it very often. Not West Virginia's strength, but they certainly had some opportunities last week against TCU, a defense that similar comps with alignment and the consistency about where you can find their pieces. Do they keep the roof on as similar as Iowa State does? No, but maybe an encouraging part of that game was not the misses in the deep game, but they did have some people who were open. They did make a few one-on-one plays and they had a chance. Um, They did stretch it a little bit more than they had before. Good idea because you need to gobble up yardage and you have a chance against Iowa State or kind of a fruitless tactic because why would you think you can do what other opponents have not for really across – a couple of seasons, not just this season. Yeah, there was. <laughs> they've been having this talk within the NFL this year so far. Of man, all these defenses have adjusted and put extra, extra safety back, done this and that to try to take away the big play. And 
man, it's like the first time we've ever seen that. And I just remember laughing and be like, no, no, no. Iowa State's been doing that for years now because that that has been their forte is is taking away the big play. That is what kind of killed West Virginia's offense when when Will Greer went out there. Um, but I think at least as far as this year goes, that's that's not West Virginia's game. The deep the deep pass, the the deep middle, the deep deep slants, deep posts, all that stuff. I don't think that's their their play. So yes. It makes it difficult because you have to, again, long, sustainable drives, 10, 12, 14 plays. West Virginia knew that. They've done that. But then they throw up the other roadblock of they did it because they were able to run the ball. Iowa State's pretty good in run defense. So uh, do you need to get a short passing game going? Do you have to just say, screw it, we're going to run, and you're going to have to stop us, and we're going to find out who's better at being good? Um, honestly. I don't know what the answer is, but I do feel like that might be the situation that happens on Saturday. I think West Virginia is going to say, even with their running back, the injuries and everything going on, the lack of depth, I could see them just putting their head down and be like, nope, we're running it. Stop it. Try it. Let's do it. Two matchups to note, West Virginia's offense against Iowa State's defense. This comes from CFB Graphs. They do pretty wonderful game-by-game previous advanced statistics, but West Virginia, West Virginia's offense, early down success, uh, 35 in the country. Third and fourth down success, 26 in the country. Iowa State's defense, 27 and 19. So you mentioned strength versus strength up top, Chris. There it is. And, hey, it's going to be an early down game, but also a late down game. Yeah, obviously, but that just means that the value of possession – negative plays, positive plays, capitalizing on opportunities when they're there or creating opportunities is going to be important because one team is very good on early downs. One team is stubborn on early downs, offense, defense. One team is good on third and fourth down offensively. One team is stubborn third and fourth down defensively. So you kind of get an idea how this game is going to settle here too. One last thing before we go. I won't go into tight ends. They just don't have a lot of tight ends this year, which used to be the trick and treat of playing Iowa State. Um, they still do a lot with their formations, and they use their tight ends to formation and motion, you know, shift, all that stuff. Special teams has been a problem for Iowa State. was early in the year. They've had three punts blocked. They've had four kicks blocked. They have pretty poor field position because of their return game. Man, if there's a game for West Virginia to be competent on special teams, to make something happen to help their offense, this would be a good one here. Um they're capable of getting a hand up and doing something. We saw that two-point conversion game uh, against Baylor swing that game. We haven't seen much from the returns, but field position could be really important. Um, Iowa State's offense, 99th in field position. West Virginia's defense, 79th in field position. They're not getting a whole lot of help there. Uh, West Virginia's offense, 113th in field position. Oh, man, can you do something here to make it happen? We'll see, but just, just watch on that because it may be better now. Um, they're the only... FBS program starting a true freshman kicker and punter. And again, have had some issues with punt box and, and I'm not sure if it was a PAT or a field goal, but four kicks blocked. Um, teams go after it. They've been getting them. They've been effective. Finally, Chris, we close with this. 330 kick ESPN plus. Road trip West Virginia. Slow starts in the first half in the last two road games. Five losses. Can't lose too many more. I mean, there's just a lot here we can talk about, but after the game, we'll talk about someone, something to explain the outcome. What do you have up your sleeve? Neil Brown. Okay. I'm going off. I'm going off the board or at least off the field here. I think this is a game that is 
likely to be lower scoring, tighter. It's going to rely on a lot of decisions, timeouts, end of halves, start of halves, end of game, um, you know, fourth down choices, special teams choices. And, you know, I, I know people, uh, well, and then this loss could bring in obviously more questions about his future in West Virginia, but I think this game could really come down to a lot of coaching decisions, a lot of game in game decisions that could really affect the outcome on Saturday evening. So I think one way or another, if they end up winning this game, it's going to be like, hey, that was a good job going forward on that fourth down at the end of the first half, which then got a field goal right before they got the ball back, start the second half and got a touchdown. That really swung the game. It's going to be one of those conversations where if they lose, it's going to be like, oh, man, that decision to to not go for it or to kick a field goal in the red zone when they needed seven, yada, yada, yada. I think I think we're going to be looking at some big decisions that are going to make an impact on the game on Saturday. I'll still go the coaching staff. I'll go Jordan Leslie. I mean, he's got cash in this one too, obviously. I don't know if they tripped and fell into something by being of the mind that, well, we don't have any other players. Let's just play man. Um, maybe they're just that much better with Woods. I don't know. But they were redeemed by being more aggressive and just saying, we probably were dropping too much before. We played too much passive coverage. They were aggressive. They were on the front foot. They held TCU to uh, two field goals and a fourth and 10 or fourth and one touchdown pass with 20 seconds left in the game in the second half. That's good work for that defense. At large, no. But that defense, sure. Got to keep it going. I'm sure the players feel good about having the game in their hands and, and just having a play and prove they're better than the person across them. Not that they're better with six or seven teammates in a scheme for a zone or a coverage or a run defense against another entire other unit. So it just seems to me that's a way to keep their confidence going. You just did well with it. Keep it going. Um, and if not, if they revert to something else or they're not very good enough, if they get lit up by Iowa State's offense, um, then you have a lot of questions about the defensive coordinator and what's going on there and, and why their plan was what it was or why their success was not, uh, I mean, there. How about that? Just why it wasn't there against an offense that has not been very good. And to be frank, Chris, if they lose on Saturday, um, who knows? Sunday could be a busy day for us, too. We'll see. But that's something to talk about after the game. They will be at Jack Trice Stadium. 70 people, players, I guess, who be transferring. Ooh, transferring. How about that? Whoa, Traveling. Maybe transferring. We'll see. But next man up times six, seven, eight because of their injury problems in different spots. We'll see how they put it together. We'll have plenty of previews coming up. Your key matchups. My fresh set. Predictions. Projections, previews from the coaches, from the experts, the typical preamble to a game. I'm out of words here. Are you good? I'm good. And hey, and for those that are not looking forward to Saturday, keep an eye out for basketball stuff. We get uh, access to the co- uh, Bob Huggins and a couple players uh, Thursday afternoon and mm, this afternoon. First game Monday, right? Yeah. yeah. Monday night. So basketball season is upon us. So be prepared. Monday and Friday. You get the Mountaineers of Mount St. Mary's and the Panthers of Pitt. Mm-hmm. Coming fast. It'll be here before you know it. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.